Do you recall a day where everything clicked into place, where the world seemed to move in perfect harmony and every task flowed effortlessly? Introducing you to London Nootropics, adaptogenic coffee blends, thoughtfully crafted to elevate and balance your day, delivering all the perks of your beloved coffee, plus the incredible benefits of adaptogens, which also help to dial down those less than loved side effects like jitters, anxiety, and that all too familiar crash. A premium mix of medicinal mushroom extracts and other potent adaptogens, each blend is targeted for a specific purpose depending on what you need. Flow enhances your mental clarity and focus, Zen is your go-to for stress relief and balance, and Mojo offers that clean, natural energy lift. It's the synergy between caffeine and adaptogens that works wonders, allowing us to relish the caffeine bars without the drawbacks, ensuring a smooth, sustained energy flow. My top pick is the Zen Blend. It's a lifesaver for those of us who are caffeine sensitive and not to mention comes in the most charming packaging. So why not elevate your coffee experience with Lund New Tropics? Discover the perfect blend, find your flow and enjoy an exclusive 20% discount with the code SATINRETURNS at LondonNewTropics.com. Hello everyone and welcome to Saturn Returns with me, Kagi Dunlop. This is a podcast that aims to bring clarity during transitional times where there can be confusion and doubt. Pausing this for a moment because I've got something exciting to share. Today's episode is brought to you by London Nootropics, the masters of crafting adaptogenic coffee blends that don't just taste heavenly, but they also boost your energy the right way. Now we all love that zesty kick from caffeine. It snaps us awake by outsmarting those sleepy adenosine receptors in our brain. But here's the kicker. Caffeine can hike up our cortisol, giving us the jitters or anxiety, particularly if you're like me and caffeine sensitive. But that's where the magic of adaptogen steps in. These natural heroes level out our cortisol, smoothing the energy boost from caffeine without the downsides. Plus, while caffeine tends to rush in and fade away, leaving you crashing, adaptogens extend that energy, keeping you vibrant without reaching for another cup. So if you want to find your most productive self with Lion's Mane and Rhodiola in their flow blend, Cordyceps in Mojo is known to increase our aerobic capacity, oxygen flow and boost ATP. So it's perfect before a run or workout or when you're feeling fatigued. So if you're intrigued and you want to dive deeper into their blend secrets and discover which adaptogens sync with you, try visiting their website. And because you're part of the Saturn Returns family, enjoy a special 20% off at London Nootropics Adaptogenic Coffee with the code Saturn Returns. Enjoy. People always put science and spirituality on like opposite ends of the spectrum. Really like they feel so similar to me and like they're really describing the same thing except expressing it in a different way. Today I am joined by the artist Amber Mark, a Grammy-nominated singer, songwriter and producer. Her sound is a unique fusion of alternative R&B, soul and bossa nova. I first came across Amber when I was living in LA and I discovered a track of hers called Monsoon, which really soundtracked my time there. It's one of those songs that I played over and over again and I didn't know what it meant or what it was about, but I knew that it evoked an emotion in me. As we discuss in this episode, the song came following the death of her mother And so it's no surprise that the song is so heartfelt. We talk in depth about Amber's process as an artist and dive into how when creativity becomes business, you have to negotiate that process with other forces. 
Amber was brought up in a Buddhist monastery in Darjeeling, India. She therefore has a very unique relationship with spirituality. And as you'll hear, she has had a few brushes with the universe, which I found totally fascinating. Amber is a big thinker, and it was so good to talk to someone who really is in tune with their own place in time and space. We cover some big topics such as quantum physics, numerology, but also grief and heartbreak. I'm very excited for you to hear this conversation. It's definitely helped me remember my own insignificance in the vast universe, which I find a very grounding and humbling thing. Before we get into this, let's check back in with our astrological guide, Nora. How do we achieve that ever so elusive idea of perfection? Looking at it astrologically, it certainly isn't Saturn producing the desire for perfection, for Saturn is more focused on helping us achieve balance and inner wisdom. However, in our younger years, before Saturn has a chance to come full circle at our first Saturn return, we can feel the effects of it in the way of self-doubt and self-criticism. As we know by now, Saturn represents, among many things, authority and the way that society's ideals have been imprinted on our subconscious minds from a very young age. This self-doubt is a Saturnian quality that suggests our own authority, or rather our voice of authority, hasn't completely been developed yet, which in turn disempowers us. So how do we relate to this perfection, or rather, the idea that we think perfection is. When we doubt ourselves and our self-esteem isn't at a level it can be, we remain imprisoned by the gaze of others, the opinion of critics and the permission of those we regard as authority figures. However, when we realize at the age of maturity and independence that we are indeed living in a prison of expectations and internalized self-denial, we are finally able to let go of the idea of perfection and expectations and become liberated by our expression of authenticity and authority. And that's what Saturn teaches us. To rise above the self-doubt, the gaze and shackles of expectations and to walk our path with confidence, authority and discipline after which we are finally able to unleash this brilliance we all possess. You're in New York. Whereabouts in New York are you? I'm in Manhattan, New York. I'm in the West Village. I just got back into the city from London, actually. Oh, yeah? Yeah. What were you doing here? I was doing a bunch of, like, promo and press and stuff like that. I actually went initially for uh, the owner of my label was getting married. So I went to his wedding, which was really sweet. So and nice. then I stayed for some photo shoots and stuff like that. And did a little, like, fan event and all that. It was so nice to be back in London again. <laughs> Do you like London? Yeah, it's so beautiful. It reminds me a lot of New York. I feel like New York is like London on steroids or something. <laughs> totally. Yeah, so um, I actually prefer London's like architecture more. It's older. It has more of this like classic feel to it and stuff like that. So, But New York's got this energy about it that's just, yeah, <laughs> it's insane. But I mean, I, I was actually just saying to a manager before I lived in New York, a, while, a long oh, time really? ago, longer ago than I'd care to admit. And it was amazing. But I, I barely remember being there. It was like that wild. <laughs> no, that makes sense. 
Like, honestly, sometimes I bump into people and they're like, we hung out in New York. I'm like, did we? I don't know. I guess so. Because we had fun. <laughs> yeah, I can get pretty intense. I honestly have not been going out at all. Even before COVID happened, I was like, became such an introvert, I think just because I was writing a lot of music and stuff like that. But I'm like starting now that the album's kind of done. I mean, everyone's coming back to life. You know, I'm like trying to like inch my way out there again. And like, like, where are the cool spots? Hey guys, remember me? <laughs> <laughs> so well let's just bring it back for a second because for the audience that doesn't know could you explain a little bit about who you are as an artist um yeah I mean I'm a, a singer songwriter producer 27 years old now I'm like 27 years starting your Saturn <laughs> um yes exactly and um I've been doing this professionally for I think like three years now four years now and it must be longer than that because I remember Monsoon came out when I... Oh my God, five years. Yeah. That song was like a major song for me. And it was when I... Yeah, when I moved to LA. And I must have found it on like a blog or something. But it was just... There was something that really captivated me about it. And Mm -hmm. after like reading about you and researching you, it was very interesting to listen to it again with the understanding of what that song was about and what it represented. Because obviously when I heard it, like... It was just, it evoked something in me, but I didn't know the context of what it was. So would you be able to tell us a little bit about that process and that story? Yeah, I mean, that whole EP, I had just lost my mom and was kind of going through that. She passed away in 2013 and I was kind of, I knew I always wanted to do music, but then put that all aside when she was really sick because I was taking care of her and all that stuff. But after she passed, I think, I was going to like grievance counseling and all that stuff. And, and it never like really was working. I don't know. It just wasn't, I didn't like feel like I was processing it well or getting through. Obviously it takes time to, you know, get through those things. But I think the first time, like I really started to feel like, Oh, this was a release was when I like started just writing music about it or just writing about it. And that's kind of what ignited that whole process. And I was working at a, a record label at the time and like I wanted to be in music anyway and so I kind of was like just starting to write songs here and there and then I would tell people I was a singer and they'd be like where can I hear your stuff <laughs> and I, I didn't have anything I would just be like I could sing for you right now but so I and would you uh no <laughs> sometimes <laughs> sometimes I would normally I said it just like a joke but some people would be like okay and then I would sing for them but I wanted to like actually be able to like show them something, like show them a finished piece or something. And I had already been writing all these songs and trying to work with producers. And it ended up with people I worked with that just like really didn't get the sound I was going for. And so I kind of like was like, okay, maybe I should try to learn how to do this on my own. And like, luckily I had learned a lot from the producers I worked with and felt like maybe I could just do this for myself. Like I know what I want. And so that kind of ignited me just like working in my bedroom and like finishing these songs on my own. And that's when I felt the most proud of them and the most like, this is what I'm going for. Mm -hmm. And then Space was the first song I ever put out on SoundCloud. One thing led to another through that. And I had then already written Monsoon and people started getting involved and management, lawyers, the label started, you know, and Monsoon was like, when I wrote that song, it was like, I knew what the album was going to be about through writing that song. That song felt Mm -hmm. like such a, it was weird because all the other songs I had written on that EP, I was trying to make it so that like people could really connect with them. So like, let me generalize this a little bit more. Whereas with Monsoon, it was like, this song is to my mom. It's for my mom. I'm going to have my mom's voice in it. I'm going to try to like 
describe who she is through sound. And that was what Monsoon was, you know? Which is so interesting because that's the one that connected to me the most. Yeah, and people like... Le- still to this day, I get so many messages about Monsoon. Like, and totally. so it's like, it's kind of crazy to me that that's the one like from that album that people really connect to because not that it wasn't the goal. Like I'm really happy it's the goal, but like when I wrote it, I was like, okay, this is for you mom. Like, I don't know, but I'm really happy that album, that EP I think is probably going to be forever the most like meaningful. Well, I think it shows that actually when it, it's the place that it comes from that connects with people as opposed yeah. to when you're trying to do something to gain an audience or connect with no, people. Totally. Would you, do you think you would have pursued music as much as you have if it wasn't for those experiences? I probably would have. I would have been a very different, I think it would have been a different path I would have taken. I've always been interested like in garage. I was on garage band, which is like a. Um, yeah, I know garage band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was on that. Like it's like the kindergarten version of logic. I was yeah. on it when I was like in third grade, like we had this computer class and it was like the big, thick, like colored Macs and like could use iMovie text edit or garage band. Those were like the things you could do in that class for an mm-hmm. hour. So I would always go into garage band and be like, Oh, I'm going gonna, gonna to make a beat. Like, and I just like use like the little Apple loops and like make all these little like <laughs> songs with them. So I've always kind of been like interested in that world. I never thought till I was in high school that I would actually pursue it. And I never mm-hmm. thought I would be a producer. I thought I would just be like yeah. a singer. Um, and that's then, very unusual. Yeah, I didn't think I would go down that path just because of the fact that people weren't really getting what I was going for. I don't know. I think I'm also quite like a micromanager. I tend to like, like I want to be involved in directing the videos. I like want to be involved, like, and I'm like, I have to be involved in like every part of it. I, I've worked with directors and I'm like, we're going to co-direct this. And they're like, yeah. And they like think they're going to be like in the editing room by themselves. And I'm like, hey, yeah, I'm like pulling up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, hey, here to edit with you guys. Um, but Well, that's good because you have a strong vision for who you are and what you want to say. Yeah. I, I just feel like it's happened where I've let people do that thing for me. And then it's just like, especially with my visuals and it like has not worked out. So like I'm with this album and the songs that I've been putting out this year, it's like, I just need to be involved in like every aspect of it. Because what are your musical influences and where did they come from? Because your mum influenced you quite a lot with some of her taste in music, didn't she? A a thousand percent. I think for a lot of people, like, it's like, we don't even realize it. It's like a subconscious thing. But like what you listen to when you're a kid really affects how you hear things today. But yeah, so my mom was always listening to like Sade, Stevie Wonder, like ABBA. Uh, There's this guy, Prem Joshua, who's not very well known, but was like a huge part of an influence for me, especially with the first EP, because like she would play him all the time when we lived in India. And he did this perfect hybrid of in India, like, you know, if you're from Europe or from anywhere else, but India, like America, Europe, normally they call them like Westerners. So he would do this perfect hybrid of like Western music, but also classical Indian. It had beautiful melding sound to it. So that was like a huge influence on the first EP. And still to this day, because like I always love those sounds. And there's quite a lot of like Brazilian influence, isn't there? Yes, there is. I mean, my mom was obsessed with um, Joao. I feel like I'm totally butchering the name when I say it, but Joao Juperto. I don't know if I said that right. But um, yeah, she was really, she loved him a lot. And that's again, we would, when we were like, it's a lot of the things that I would listen to when we were living in Northern India. And we were like, my mom wanted to go to this monastery there because 
she was an artist, a painter, and she would do traditional Tibetan artwork, which is called tanka painting. And so we went, she had been to India before, so, but we went back to India. It was my first time as a kid so that she could further her studies. And so I was homeschooled there while we were living in this like Tibetan Buddhist monastery, you know, an hour away from Darjeeling. And we'd always play Ella Fitzgerald, Stevie Wonder, Earth, Wind & Fire, and then um, Sade. Like Ella Fitzgerald is who got me really singing because I would always try to sing like her. She was amazing. And then you had like Joao Gilberto. There was this like album he did with Stan Getz. And we were always listening to that. And so that was always a huge influence on me because I just loved the way people sounded singing in Portuguese. It was like this milky sound. Mm-hmm. I've incorporated all of, I think it's like really a lot of what my mom showed me as a kid and what I still love to this day. So with Conexao, which clearly is a Portuguese word, which means connection, I wanted to really dive into this whole like Bossa Nova world that I was always so in love with. But I always try to do it in a way that's not, it's not like, okay, I'm just like, I'm going to make a Bossa Nova album. I like try to do it where like, you, I just like kind of trickle it in there a little bit or accent it. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I say all these people, but I'm like, Michael Jackson, huge influence on me. And I'm like, I don't know if I really thought it can, so it much can be, that. It can, be a, it can be a limiting <laughs> thing to say, but I just noticed yeah. that there was that, was those influences. And I was curious what your mum played you and stuff like that, because I totally believe that to be true. When you come to structuring a song, are you... Um, do you remain quite free with it? Because I think that's probably one of the things I noticed about you as an artist. It feels like you aren't formulating it into a traditional like pop architecture. What is the process usually like? For the most part, I have to be inspired. Sometimes I can like force myself to like get it, you know, sit down. And once I'm at the computer, I'm like, okay, I'm feeling it. But for the most part, I definitely like need to be feeling something. I just need to like have an idea in my head or like a melody in my head. So like I'll normally go to like my voice memos because sometimes I'll like just sing things into there. Yeah. And, like, I'll scroll. like if I'm like, okay, I want to write a song today and I don't have an idea, I'll just like scroll through that sometimes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I sit down at the computer, plug it in. <laughs> normally I'll start on the keys. I like try to come up with a basic beat. It doesn't have to be full on or anything like that. It can literally just be like a chord progression but it takes me a while. So that process like will take up a lot of the time of the day. And then once I get to a point where I'm like, okay, this feels good or this sounds good, then I'll start singing gibberish into a microphone literally, just like not words. It's like just trying to come up with melodies that I hear. Sometimes if I have a lyric idea or a title idea, I'll try to incorporate that. Then sometimes I do think about a pop formula where I'm like, oh, maybe I should do the like typical verse, pre-chorus, verse, pre-chorus thing. But mm-hmm. honestly, that's always kind of changing. Like, I feel like songs are getting shorter and shorter, I've noticed. Really? Well, because atten- people's attention span is as well. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what it is because it's like, I don't know. I, I think about when I first started professionally making music, it was like, and even before that, it was like three minutes and 30 seconds. That's how long a song is. Now it's like two minutes and 30 seconds. And if you go over that, it's five, but like ideally for radio, like you want to make it two minutes and 30 seconds. Does that change the way you approach music, do you think? Yes and no, because like I don't I don't really think about those. Obviously, I think about it while I'm writing, but then if it's not feeling good to me, then I'm like, whatever. There's a song on the album that's like five minutes. <laughs> I got it down to four minutes and 40 seconds, but it was really hard for me because it's like every part, and it doesn't feel like it's that long to me. Like I didn't even realize it till the label pointed it out. And I was like, oh, that, you're right. It is like that long. And then 
but I'm kind of like, it's an album track, so it's like whatever. But then now it's such a good song and we're all talking about it and they're like the single potential of it. And so- Oh, it's going to be released as a single. Maybe, we don't know. We're trying to figure that out now, but I want it to be released as a single, but I do understand that a four minute and 40 second song as a single (laughs) is really tough to like sell essentially. So it's like, I really, I do appreciate the label when it comes to the business side of things because they do have a point. So I always try to take those things into consideration. Does it affect like how I write? Not necessarily. Cause like I always save those conversations for after the song is done. I just mm-hmm. go based off of, like, what I'm feeling. And then once the song is finished, I can reassess those thoughts and those concerns, you know, and in, t- in terms of having like a very strong vision idea of who you are, has that always been the case and how, easy or hard was it to find the team around you that you have now like be Um, it the management the label because obviously in the music industry a lot of people are going to be telling you who you are a lot of the time and like what kind of music you should be putting out and what to do and what to look like so how did you navigate that space you know as a young woman oh my god I mean management came on pretty early on and management's always very much been they're always like they're there for you I mean at least for me, my experience, because I know people have had bad experiences, but so far, so good for me. The conversation we had prior that I was telling you about prior, it's like, gets a little tough in those situations because they are coming at it from a numbers and a very business side of things and like what they think will sell. I mean, and there really isn't a true answer of that. Who really knows what's going to sell? Like the amount of time artists have put out songs and like singles and like, this is the one. And then like something randomly on the album is like what pops off, you know? But 2019, like I was quite rough between like label and I just because I think we weren't really agreeing on like what was the right direction to go and like what were the options it was just more so that songs that they liked I didn't like and songs that I liked they just felt like weren't big enough or weren't going to be they weren't going to hit you know what I mean and in the lockdown it kind of allowed me to just be like oh, I'm going to make a beat today and I'll just make like a stupid little like Instagram video and just post it on People Instagram and like and see what happens and like people loved that and then like the label was like oh my god people are freaking out about this stuff we have to put it out on (laughs) on streaming and I was like thank you guys (laughs) you touched on this a second ago in terms of like wanting things to be perfect and I think you work in quite a similar way to the way my mind works in terms of whatever artistic or creative project I put out I kind of in a way can overcomplicate it, but I'll like modulize things. I'm like, this is the theme and this is this, and this means yeah. that. And sometimes totally. it's, sometimes it really works, but sometimes I think yeah. people like, what is she talking no, about? Just, and it could, yeah. and it can create a bit of a trap for myself because yeah. I won't finish things or I won't put things out because I'm like, I've created the spider web that I'm yeah, now. It's like overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how yeah. important is that? to you in terms of your process like is that just quite an innate thing and does it mean as much in the ending as it does in the beginning it I think it's very important for me like I think it's very important for me myself in order to understand what direction I'm going with like my project and stuff like that do I think it's important for the listener to know no like I definitely try to make it so that the music itself is what people really connect with and like it can have a whole other meaning than what I intended it to mean for someone. But as long as they connect with it, like on an emotional level, that's kind of the goal for me at the end of the day, lyrically, 
it deals with these everyday issues of like insecurity that I think we all deal with. Like, am I good enough? Like I really, you know, I have a really hard time in sessions, which is another reason why I produce on my own because I get really bad anxiety going into sessions. Like How I, I don't know. I, I think because I'm so slow and like I said, I don't really know how to play very many instruments. So I'll go to a session with like writers and producers and they're so fast and like, Especially in LA, and I think at the American oh way, yeah. like get twenty people in a room. Oh my god! For yeah. Like two that's hours. Like, that's like my like worst two songs. That's <laughs> my I, the idea of getting twenty people in a room. Like I would literally be in the corner, just like sweating. Like I could not handle that. But yeah, so it's really intimidating for me. And like I'll go in and be like, "Wow, I'm like really the weakest link here." Like because we all we are we're our own worst critics. We always totally. like we just always think we're like so not. We never. Can and then once with- you get in your own head, though, it can be a sort of a spiral, a descending spiral. Totally. So that's what started this album. That's how it started, right? And then, like, I never knew what I wanted the album to be about or anything. It, it always just comes to me kind of towards the end, like I put the pieces together. Yeah. In terms of, like, the lyrical content, because, you know, you some of the stuff that you've put out in the past is to do with love and then you've explored grief... I was actually speaking with someone recently who is a songwriter, who's a friend of mine and a producer, and he was just like, he kind of poked holes in the in the main narrative that most people put out, which is heartbreak. Yeah. And he was like, everyone is doing that. What yeah. else do you have to say? Was it a conscious decision to write more, I guess, abstract than perhaps in the past? Yeah, or- no. I mean, with this album, it's kind of crazy. I'm going to sound crazy when I say this, but I dive into like, there's a little bit of like quantum physics involved and just like trying to understand like what we are doing on a muddy rock in the middle of the universe and like what matter is. And like, so it's a, a lot of questioning of that. And it really dives into this like sci-fi kind of nerdy world. I've always had this like celestial, like wonder ever since I was a kid, I was like looked up to the stars and was like, whoa, like this is so weird that we're just like floating right now. Like, and we have these like, you know, weird, like, I don't know, kind of wondrous moments. But then I get it. last year we were in lockdown. Everyone was just going crazy. The whole George Floyd thing ignited this whole thing for like literally everyone on planet earth. That's when I started like looking even further out and like more into the universe. Like why is there so much suffering? Like even at the most basic state, if you think about the animal kingdom in order to survive, we have to consume, right? And like with life, there's death. And I started like questioning all these things and like kind of ignited this whole storyline that I really wanted to talk about. And so I wasn't like thinking, everyone talks about heartbreak or something like that because there is a little bit of that in there. But I do have a hard time though, talking about like romance or, I don't know, I get really embarrassed. <laughs> Why? So I see like, I don't know. I, 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 guess, I wish I did. <laughs> I'm, I guess I'm such a shy girl when it comes to like, sometimes I like feel like I don't want to be like that person who's like gushing over a guy or something like, it's so weird. I find it so dumb because it's like, we all do it. Like I should just be fine to like sing. But for me, like I was more nervous putting out Connects Out because it dealt with love and falling in love and finding love again. And like, then I was putting out the first EP 3.33am because for me, it's like, I was really 
like excited to share that that grief with people because then I could find people that have also gone through it and like we mm-hmm. could connect together. And whereas like I don't know with Connects, I was like a little nervous. I was like, oh, I'm telling people about my love life. I don't know. It felt weird to me. So I think I try to tap into that on the album, but you know, in my own way. There's still a little heartbreak, but I just do it in a way that's a little more subtle. <laughs> Would you say then, it's so interesting what you're saying about, you know, the questioning. And I think this last year has called a lot of people to start questioning the systems that govern us and yeah, yeah. dig a little deeper yeah. and be more curious as to the why and what's actually underneath. And yeah. a lot of us are kind of quite disturbed with what we're finding yeah. or <laughs> frustrated with what we're not. Yeah. But what I... I'm noticing with a lot of people that I speak to is that we're kind of eventually coming around to having to look within and trust ourselves and what yes. we're capable of. And that can be quite an empowering thing because you're like, okay, I cannot yeah. control these things. I cannot change all these things that I wish I could, Absolutely. but I can start with me. And what way can I show up individually? And I think it's a wonderful takeaway for our listeners. It's like, you know, through you having that experience and questioning those things, yeah, yeah. you cathartically expressed it in music, which may not, in a sort of linear sense, be a, an obvious answer to the, yeah. the situation that we find ourselves yeah. in, but it does have a vibrational impact that then yeah. has this, you know, effect on everyone that's receiving, listening to your music. Yeah, I, I think that's so true, what you said about really looking within, and, and that was such a huge part of this as well, because, like, I started looking at the universe and stuff like that in the kind of like a scientific way and like trying to understand what a lot of like scientists and quantum physicists theorize and all of these things and like gave me this whole like look on like, wow, like people always put science and spirituality on like opposite ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Really like they feel so similar to me and like they're really describing the same thing except expressing it in a different way. And in doing so, it, like, it really kind of, like, made me realize, wow, like, this whole universe, there could be, like, a universe within me, like, we don't know any of these things, but, like, the feeling of, like, searching, it kind of made me more spiritual, almost. Like, it made what, me... The more scientific you became? Or the more the scientific way. I became, the more, like, I wanted to meditate again. Like, my mom always used to want me to meditate when I was a kid, and I was like, I'm not gonna do that. I was, like, 10 years old. I'm, like, hanging out with the mugs. Like, I'm not, like, trying to meditate... <laughs> I'm like, no, thank you. But, but I know sometimes I would do it on occasion, but it actually made me feel more connected. It doesn't have to be like God or whatever, whatever God is, but it made me feel more connected to that energy or that feeling like, and like wanted to kind of search within more and wanted to really like kind of find this feeling of like content within and stuff like that. And again, like, like worth it that song like kind of one of those songs that I wrote as like a mantra to myself to like help me in those situations like especially when I'm going into a studio or something like that to kind of like give me that like inner strength it was almost like an affirmation that I wrote to my you know to myself or to anyone those feelings of insecurity and stuff like that and that song was the outcome of like trying to like sit with myself and really understand these feelings and like how to just go about inner turmoil and like I think once you like figure out those things, it's like easier for you as an individual to like help other people get there. Or like when I went through the breakup, it was like, I was so afraid of being alone, you know, like that I like stayed in the relationship because I was afraid of being on my own. And so once I did that, it like made me realize like, okay, like how can I like be happy with people if I can't sit with myself and like laugh at something? Do you know what I mean? 
so that was like kind of a little eye-opening experience for me as well and like, yeah so the album kind of just dives into those things but again it's like you don't need to know hopefully the the music you'll connect with it in a way that makes you feel those things but it's not necessary to know all of these things well know? it's like what i said it doesn't have to be on a conscious level it, it it just connects with people because i think it is such a powerful thing to be able to to sit in our own comfort and discomfort you know and that's something that's not taught and i think we often stay in things that have far outdated their sell by <laughs> because of that fear and that societal pressure as well but i i find for me you know what you were discussing or exploring about grasping the sort of cosmos and and the universe it's like that is my meditation and I don't do it as often as I should especially living in a city like London where you can't (laughs) see the stars it's the same as New York but when I do have those moments and I sort for me it's like grasping my insignificance yeah it's really. so humbling it is and it's I'm really just humbling. like it just it takes me out of myself and it only it only it's like a fleeting moment and suddenly I'm like <sighs> yeah yeah totally no. it, it really does feel like that and it's a very humbling moment it reminds me like of this quote that Carl Sagan said Carl Sagan is like this physicist from like the 70s 80s and essentially it's this whole visual from his TV show called the cosmos, which they've redone with Neil deGrasse Tyson. But essentially he talks about like, you see it and it's like this visual portrayal of like bird's eye view, um, leaving planet earth and just like how far away yeah. and like how far it goes out. And then all of a sudden earth, he ends it with saying like how, when you go further out, you see how small it is and mm-hmm. like how it's, so insane that we get so caught up in like these like racial wars and just whatever and like if you were to just take a look or like be on a different star and like see planet earth or whatever like you would realize wow how connected we all are and how like how much stronger we all are together and how like none of those issues are like significant at all and so it is very humbling to like think about those things and to like look up and be like wow like we're just we're ants <laughs> yeah, flying around on a on a piece exactly. of dust in space. <laughs> exactly. Who knows? Like the universe itself could just be like a speck of dust. We don't even know any of this. <laughs> I know it's crazy, but I'm curious as well. What um, you said the more you delved into the science aspects of things, the more spiritual yeah. you became. Can you expand on that a little bit? Because I I obviously, you know, running an astrology podcast, a lot of people kind of roll their eyes and it gets that new age woo-woo kind of reputation. I'm like, (laughs) but astronomy people don't knock. No. (laughs) But also, exactly, don't. And also because I feel like there is such a huge connection between those. Like if you think about it. So it's like, I mean, people who like roll their eyes at astrology, I'm just like, none of us really know and like it's kind of crazy how like sometimes you'll read things and you're like yes that's exactly that's me like you know so you know with those things you can never really not especially i think astrology and astronomy do go hand in hand they do they they absolutely do and historically they did it was just yes, they kind it was of separated a, yeah at a point in time and and then one became a you know well, yeah and I think also totally and i think the same time that you're thinking about science like people that were like philosophers that were scientists and stuff like that it was a very spiritual thing till uh, you know newton like alchemy was involved in science and it was like it was this like almost magic so for me 
I always used to be one of those people that did separate. Mm-hmm. You know, if you believe in science, you don't believe in God and, and whatnot. And then I started really going into it. And like, actually, a lot of physicists that I've read about or listened to like interviews of and stuff like that, this guy Mikio Kaku, who's like this Japanese physicist, he is like a very heavy believer of God and the correlation of um, between like science and quantum physics in particular to like spiritualities, even in Hinduism and just like all those different types of religion, you can really see this like correlation of like the celestial wonder, especially in Hinduism, in my opinion, like you look at Shiva and on his finger, he's got a galaxy that he's just like spiraling himself. When I started looking at like quantum physics and stuff like that, you start to see, oh, wow, there are all these connections and stuff like that. Some of it gets like really metaphysical and like weird and like out there and you're kind of like, whoa, that's like false. Like how? Uh, Somatics and stuff like that, which is like essentially the vibrations that sound creates and how it creates these symbols. Like if you look it up online, there's like these metal plates that people use and like sand and they put it onto metal plates and they'll just direct certain frequencies. So it'll just be like a one note and they'll create these crazy symbols on these metal plates and stuff like that. And people have like kind of taken that. It's like sacred geometry. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. That's like some weird Mm -hmm. meta stuff right there. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not saying like, okay, this is the answer. It's just like interesting to like see this correlation between looking at these like symbols that like sound and vibration makes and correlating it to all these like different types of symbols and patterns that are used within like religion. It's kind of interesting. I don't know if it's accurate, but I mean, for me, like connecting those things was like, whoa, okay, this is really cool. Like, I do feel like there is like some otherworldly entities or energy, like making this all happen. You know what I mean? Like, because if you look at science, they have the math to describe these higher dimensional fields. Like we have a map, they know it exists. We just can't visualize it. We can't see it. And there's some really cool, I won't go into details with that stuff either because it's like, I'm the worst at explaining it. Like there's so many YouTube videos where you see like Carl Sagan or Neil deGrasse Tyson, like explaining the different dimensional fields up to the one that we perceive, which is the third dimension. And then you can include the fourth dimension as like being time essentially. But they like talk about how if there was a two-dimensional being and like us being a third-dimensional being like looking down into a two-dimensional plane like we would be able to understand oh these are just two-dimensional beings but looking we wouldn't be able to comprehend higher dimensions like the way that they're meant to be but it's one of those things where it just feels like okay you look at the science of things and like what they're describing and like look into atoms and all of these things and just kind of talking about like dark matter and all this stuff, it feels really mystical and spiritual to me. Mm-hmm. And then you're kind of like, oh, I see, see, like for me with Hinduism and Buddhism in particular, like those religions really throw that type of like those celestial theories, to me at least, I, I really see the connection between those. And then it, that's what makes me feel like, okay, there is some sort of connection here. Like I, I understand my mom's like whole connection to Buddhism and stuff like that, you know, more. Yeah, because I was going to say, what is, do you sort of have a particular religion or spiritual practice that you connect to? No, I don't. I mean, like, I I was raised Tibetan Buddhist because that's what my mom was. You know, she would do it. She's German. <laughs> she's not, she's not Tibetan. She's not Indian or anything like that. <laughs> 
everyone's like, oh, you're you're half Indian. I'm like, no, she just loved it. <laughs> She's blonde haired, green eyes. Like, <laughs> But no, so I was raised that way. So that's kind of what I think I know the most and I connect to the most because of that. And I think it also allows me to feel connected to my mom because she would do this traditional Tibetan artwork. When I like meditate and stuff like that's where I go to like of spirituality mm-hmm. and like I visualize those deities and stuff like that so I would say in the closest that would be the closest religion or spirituality that I'm connected to but again like my godmother who is like my she's like my second mom like she's Christian she goes to church every Sunday and so like sometimes she wants me to go with her like, like I'm not really into that religion but even going into the church like I went to the church with her like a few weeks ago and for me i'm just like wowed by like the interior of the church and like then i start thinking about like mm-hmm. the sacred geometry thing and like trying to see oh like wow like you really do see like these patterns and like there's a connection there and so like, like <laughs> i'm like trying to like da vinci code <laughs> that's, like, that's my religion i guess i don't know i just i i take little things from different spiritualities and religions and kind of create my own And I think at the end of the day, it's like religion in its most basic form. Like, obviously, there's been so much of religion that it's been abused, you know, obviously. But if you think about religion and like its basic state and like spirituality and all that stuff, like it's really just about tapping into that field or that energy. And so I don't have one in particular, but I appreciate all of them. (laughs) I think that's amazing. Uh, And before I let you go, I just want to ask a little bit about numerology. Is that something that you're interested in? Because obviously you had, I mean, are we going to dive into that after everything else? We're going to be like, (laughs) take your geometry. um, You've you've got the right audience for it, don't worry. um, Well, yeah, I I mean, I'm not like into it where I've like done research and like based certain life decisions on it or anything like that. I don't do that, but I'm definitely intrigued by it. I think numbers, math in general, like is such a huge part. Like again, you think about geometry and stuff like that. Like it's such a huge part of life and matter and yeah. all of that stuff. So I think for me, like three was such a big number for me. Like as a kid, it was always my favorite number. And then because my mom was born in 1953, my brother was born in 1983, and I was born in 1993, and it was the three of us. That was why it was big for me then. And then I got older, like my mom passed away on June 3rd of 2013 at 10, 23 PM. So that was like, okay, that was a little interesting for me there. And then I don't know if it was like, I started just like thinking about it a lot and seeing it because of that. But there was definitely a very intense few weeks after my mom had passed where I was writing these songs. And it was at the point where I knew that I was making a project and I was writing some of these songs and I would write later in the evening because I was very nervous. I didn't want anyone to hear me in my apartment. So I would do it later at night. People were sleeping then. I would just go into the zone of like production and writing. And then like all of a sudden, like I would like tap out and be like, whoa, like it's probably really late. Like I need to go to bed. Like I have to be an adult tomorrow morning and like go to work and stuff like that. Every time that would happen for like three or four weeks straight, it would be 3.33 AM. And I was like, this is not, it wasn't even like it was so random and at first i was like eh, that's not doesn't mean anything like have you looked into what it means uh i i well, i think i did once when i was coming up at 3 33 a.m and i don't really remember what it was 
<laughs> no, it's interesting because actually some other people that I've spoken to who have had like a similar experience, it's also been with the number really? three, which I'm... Wait, what yeah, does it mean? Do you know what it means? About. I don't yeah, know, I'm, I'm look definitely going to look into it. I'm definitely going to look into but it. But definitely, I mean, that stuff, like that really hit me. That's why I named 333 AM was like... And then also, of course, my initials are AM. So I was like, hey, you know, a little oh. thing there. But three was... It doesn't happen to me as much now. Like now I feel like this weird, I keep seeing this. This is going to sound even weirder now. Now I keep seeing like this weird blue dot like keeps appearing. I don't know what it is, but it's like every time I like close my eyes before I go to bed, like to see it. Uh. It's like, you know, like those, <laughs> you know, those like fuzzy things you see floating when you like look at the sky or something uh, and yeah. like they fall. And every yeah. time you like try to focus on it, it moves, right? So it's like one of those things mm-hmm. where like, for like the past month, I keep just seeing this like blue dot before I go to bed or if I close my eyes or like sometimes like I'll do something and it'll like appear for a second. I'm like, is this a sign? Like, is, am I on the right path right now? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so, I mean, I don't know. I could have a medical issue and like need to go to the doctor or something. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I was like, maybe you should get that checked I out. It. I've tried to like figure it out. I'm like, it's one of those small things. It, actually, it hasn't been that prominent recently. I think it was Again, I think psychologically you kind of play with yourself a little bit. Yeah, and then you, you start kind of looking for it, you know. Totally. So. Well, I kind of think we've covered all sorts of grounds, so yeah. it's really fascinating to speak to you and hear all this stuff because there's obviously you're a big thinker. Oh, and I thank love you. That. It's good to talk to somebody who's like interested and doesn't think I'm like psycho. <laughs> No, I literally, I'm like, God, you're really speaking my language. Okay, good. I'm gonna, I'm definitely gonna be going down like a, a YouTube rabbit hole. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'll send you some stuff for sure. Please really, do. Yes. I would love that. But it's been such a pleasure to. Yeah, it's been so good talking to you too. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and I wish you all the luck with the album. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I love what Amber had to say about the strength she has when facing labels and managers and knowing her direction, knowing her sound, knowing who she is as an artist, which I think can be such a challenging thing to negotiate when more people kind of come into the picture. It's really interesting from the outside as someone that views her as very confident and very self-assured, how she still experiences anxiety and self-doubt in sessions. And I think that that's something we all struggle with, that kind of self-doubt piece. What really resonated for me after listening back to this conversation is what contribution we can make to the world. Understanding Amber's process, her thoughts, her desire for goodness pierces through to the listener. It might not be obvious, it's subtle, but that is the beauty of art and creativity and that's why I believe it is so needed today. You can find more of Amber's music on Spotify at Amber Mark or visit her website at ambermarkmusic.com. And check out her song Monsoon because, you know, I'm listening to it now with a whole new meaning and perspective after this conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could follow the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Many of you have, and it's so nice to read the comments and what you guys have to say about the show. So please do take a moment to do so. It means a lot to me and it helps us get discovered by more like-minded people. Thank you so much for listening and remember, you are not alone. Goodbye. Goodbye.